Hey friends, welcome back. If you haven't noticed, I've been gone for a few weeks. It's been a, about three weeks since I released an episode, so I just want to apologize real quick about the the brief silence. I've had some some personal things I've just been working through, trying to process and uh, thinking about the future of the show and what's next, and I'm excited to say that the show is back on track, and we're going to see where this thing takes us. I'm excited for the journey, and I hope uh, you guys are excited for it as well. And as always, if you guys want to be in touch with me more personally, you guys can follow me on Twitter at RedrawTheBath. You can follow me on Instagram at ChrisHarmonRTB. You can email me if you have questions, if you have comments, feedback, criticism, heresy accusations at RedrawingTheBath at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on the show, if you have a story you'd like to tell about something that has helped you through the coronavirus thing whatever this is anymore um or just to talk about spiritual practices and how they've impacted your faith as your faith has undergone transition i those are the conversations that i live for so feel free to reach out today i get to share an interview that i actually recorded on election night uh with a hero of mine jonathan walton jonathan is a a activist he's an author he's a speaker he's a poet um, he's a lot of things and it's um it's not every day you get to talk to someone who um has really impacted you in many ways from afar um we talk about trump we talk about single issue voting we talk about all sorts of different issues kind of formed around this idea that the american evangelical landscape that we see looks a lot more like biblical Babylon than a biblical Israel. It looks a lot more like the Gentile nations than the nations that um, were God's chosen people and how to deal with that as God's chosen people, whatever that means anymore. Um, it was a good interview. It was stressful because we were waiting to see what the results were going to be. And um, I was just really honored to have him on the show. And so I'm really excited to share this with you and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. Today, on of all days, the the election is finally here. It's uh, it's right in front of our faces, and and I'm excited. I'm I'm nervous. I'm I'm scared. I'm I'm anticipating something something big. But today, I get to talk to someone who I've been anxious to talk to for a very long time, and it's only a coincidence that we get to talk on the the day where. We're about to see something. I don't know what it is happen, but uh, I get to talk to speaker, author, activist, Jonathan Walton. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. Hey, thank you for, for having me and giving me a space to talk about the crazy. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I was so excited. I was like, I need to talk to this guy because uh, it it's crazy. So the the first podcast I, I ever listened for like deconstruction, faith journey, whatever, was your interview with um, Seth Price on Can I Say This at Church? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I've, I've been a fan of yours for, for a while now. So it's, thanks, uh, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Uh, Maya will make some appearances when there are scary parts in Octonauts. So if you hear, okay. that's who the other voice is. <laughs> Speaking of, of scary parts, let, let, I mean, usually I ask people like what, what's going like what's your faith journey look like and and yeah mm -hmm. 
for the sake of, uh, I guess for the sake of context of who you are, for people that don't know who you are, like how, what does your faith journey look like? Um, how did you get involved in what you're doing now? And I guess then we can just segue into the, the scary parts. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, I am, man, my faith journey, like, I started off like a lot of um, like a lot of black people in America. Like I started off in the black church. So I'm from um, a place called Broadnax, Virginia. It's about 80 miles north of Durham, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. It's about 75 miles south of Richmond. So it's in, literally in the middle of nowhere. Like it's mm-hmm. between places. They call it the tunnel, like between Petersburg and South Hill is 52 miles of trees. Like people have accidents because you just get tunnel vision and you'll fall asleep. Yeah. Um, but that's where I'm from. Um, and um, that the the KJV Black Baptist Church like shaped me. Like mm. um, the scriptures I know, the songs I know, how I know how to pray, all of those things like are embedded in me. Um, when I left Virginia for the first time, it was to come to Columbia University. Um, I got a scholarship. Um, cause scholarships will bring you out of the woods to go to school <laughs> and, um, and I met InterVarsity, and then I got introduced to John Piper and Tim Keller and like this whole reformed, whatever that means, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. became an MC for the Veritas forum and like all that stuff. And then I came on staff with InterVarsity, which is like the largest evangelical student organization in the, in the world. I joined right InterVarsity staff because I met Jesus in scripture in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I had the privilege of like leading Bible studies and having deep discussions and intellectually a Jesus that could deal with the suffering that I couldn't explain. Like he was big enough to handle the slavery, the trafficking, the exploitation, abuse, the violence. Like he, he could deal with the colonization and that like all of that, he could handle that. And that was why I became a Christian. Um, uh, fortunately, like I got to, because of Columbia's core curriculum, I got to read the major texts of every quote unquote civilization that, you know, they decide to make you read. Mm. And their goal is for you to come out a secular humanist. Like they expressly say that. Um, mm. but I got to read the Bible and the Quran and the Bodhisattva and the Vedas and like Montaigne's essays and the Decameron and 56 books that every Columbia student has read. Mm. Um, and so I remember sitting in class and my professor who he slowly deteriorated throughout the year, like he was a PhD student and I could see him like losing purpose as the semester went on. Mm. And he raises, he came in one day and he was like obviously awake all night doing whatever work he was doing. And he said, you know, how many of you guys just believe you have a purpose? And there's a class of 30, you know, Ivy League, you know, educated or on our way to education people. And I was the only one to raise my hand. Hmm. And I was like, then what the hell are we doing here? If you don't <laughs> think it, like your family is, or someone is paying 50000 At the time it was fifty. I think now it's seventy. But like $50,000 a year for you to be in this room having these conversations that you don't believe you're here for a reason like yeah. what you know so that's when I just I mean I was all in on like we need to tell people 
that we that we are created to flourish, work, ruin, create, and all of the yeah. So I was I was in after that. I was like, I need to minister to college students, and so that's what that's how I, that's what I've been doing the last twelve years is on staff at the university and um, living in New York City with my wife and now two daughters and um, quote unquote doing the the hard work of trying to introduce people to the Jesus that loves everybody and not just some folks. So, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dang. That's, it, it. it's so, I was just having this conversation with my brother the other day of, of he, he definitely probably, he leans more towards, I guess, agnosticism than just mm. outright secular humanism of like, he believes that there's a higher power, but that's, it, it's, that's one of the things for him where he was thinking about majoring in philosophy and and he was even saying he was like the problem with so many people that want to major in in philosophy or or anthropology is that they're it's completely purposeless it's just for this it's it's so disenfranchising for people to Mm -hmm. actually have drive yeah yeah i mean ta-nehisi coates talks about that like with history right he's like you know if you want to go be depressed like go read history um, and he's like, there's no, he's like, there's no hope in Northwestern's history department, you know? And I would say similar in philosophy, I think, you know, I couldn't major in philosophy because the goal is not to get an answer. Mm. Like we, we are okay in the United States and in most like downstream of Western colonization, like we are okay with seeking truth. We are not okay with finding it. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, like that is like for some reason, like saying a thing is a thing is a problem. And yeah. and Jesus does that all the time, which is why I like Jesus. But um, <laughs> he's like, no, this <laughs> this is evil. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, But but yeah, like I that's I can't I can't do philosophy. I remember um, sitting down with a with a there's a first student. He was a he was also a student. He was a, his parents were Chinese dissidents who were like, you know, he got banned out of China, basically. And he we ended up in the same suite. And we just started talking about philosophy. And he had come up with his own philosophy for living his life. And, and I just could not fathom the authority to do that. Mm, I was like, I was like, what do you mean you? This is how you decided you're going to live. I was like, I said, I totally understand and respect it. I'm just wondering, like, where you feel the the sense of authority and power to declare like this is what is moral, good, upright, just, and beautiful. Like I it's just a jelly. It is a jelly, Maya. You're absolutely right. You I should eat it instead of playing with it. Yeah. I ate the chocolate. You ate the chocolate part? Yeah, you should eat the rest of it and not just rub it between your hands because that's not sanitary at all. Can you just eat it? <laughs> Can you just eat it? Jelly. It is jelly. I don't know why it's red. Probably because it's a raspberry chocolate ring that is void of chocolate now. Okay? I'm telling our friend Chris about Leeshing Kong, who I met in college. And he believed my, he told me one day, he sat me down and he said, you know, this is what I believe. And he drew one of Aristotle's problems. He drew a mountain. And he said, all of us are working to get to the top. And eventually our good deeds will take us to the promised land. And so he said, on his own volition, one day he will be raised and lifted to wherever paradise is. Hmm. And I said, well, all right. I don't believe that. 
Like there's a song that we sing in our church with no PowerPoint or instruments called One Day I'll Fly Away, right? But yeah. that that flying away is still not us being lifting mm. ourselves up. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah, I think that's where philosophy loses me is that yeah. I I just don't have that much authority, I don't think. So. Yeah, and and I think that leads to an interesting question of of where I mean mm-hmm. the implications of that for I mean I guess I'll, people people kind of talk about philosophy as if it's only this kind of Western thing, but there's there's other different offshoots of, of philosophy, not offshoots, other schools of thought within the Eastern world as well. But absolutely, one of the things that's so interesting about Western philosophy is its um its emphasis on the individual, and, uh-huh. and so. Mm-hmm. I think that that it, that brings up an interesting question of what do you think within your friend gave him the the confidence and authority to say this is what's right, this is what's good. I think what gave him that impetus is the lure of okay. So I'm gonna try to explain this succinctly. One of the myths of empire is that you can make your own way. Mm. Everyone can be white. Everyone can be a Roman. Everybody can be an American. Every like you you can decide that, right? Um yeah. and I think that is really 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 attractive when you have been oppressed or disempowered or lose control. And mm. if you are if your family has been arrested multiple times, if you are under house arrest, if you have been threatened, if you don't know where, like, like who is watching you, who you can trust, and you don't even know if you're ever going to be able to leave, like, the agency that individualism gives to you is pretty powerful and attractive. Um, yeah. And I think what it's a individualization is an incomplete redemptive process. Because I do believe that we have to be be able to identify as an I before we can become uh, a mature we again, right? Yeah. So every child goes through that. You adult, Maya, stop pulling the cord, please. You adult, and then you like re-enter into your family as an adult. Otherwise, like you're a 45, 50 year old infantile self when you go back home for Thanksgiving, right? Like, yeah. You, you know, every man is supposed to leave his family and cling to his wife. And like, that's, you become your, your own household. Um, and so whether you do that individually, individually or in a marriage, like we, I think what, what happens though, is that we don't re-enter back into the we. And I think that's the mm-hmm. incomplete part of individualization, um, which, you know, Willie Jennings would call like colonization. Like you, when, the, the idea that you can be the rugged individualist and survive and, and, and impose your will on creation, impose your will on the world, which is what every vi- v- hero in a Hollywood film does. Like 24, mm-hmm. people love 24 because Jack Bauer imposes his will on every situation. Chuck Norris, like John Wayne, like this hero figure, you impose your will, right? Yeah. Um, and the problem is the world doesn't work like that at all. Um, yeah <laughs> but we yeah. but we tell people it does you know um, yeah but anyway yeah i feel like i'm rambling but no i, I mean i think that's really uh, that's a really uh that's really poignant for the for the moment that we find ourselves in of like people like jack bauer and john wayne and chuck mm-hmm. norris like they were only able to impose their will 
on certain situations because the will of the thing that was above them matched their will. So yes. the illusion is is that it's their will, but in actuality, it's the the narrative, it's the em- empirical will right. that's pushing them forward. And so I think, I mean, that's kind of why I asked of of like what I mean, just to jump right into it, like what like what's going on? Like why why do so many people <laughs> think like I'm gonna impose this will, especially Christians who are like, mm-hmm. I'm going to impose this 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 individualistic worldview that that has almost absolutely nothing to do with or any resemblance to the person of jesus Mm -hmm. um like what's going on so i think and i am i'll be honest with you like i wrote 12 lies and i am like in the weeds in the emotional the activist and the next like book like we just wrote another book right so Mm -hmm. um some of what I'm talking about is in 12 lies, but it's really like worked itself out in our emotional healthy activist course and our like the last book that we did like on politics and Christianity, right? So keeping the faith reflections on politics and Christianity in the age of Trump, in the area of Trump and beyond. So I'm, I'm going to pull from those two texts. Um, mm. But I think what's happening is all of us having our moments in the desert with the devil. And the devil says, hey, test God, jump off the cliff. You'll be fine. He's going to save you. Just trust him, right? Just just do that. Yeah. Um, and we don't have the scriptural knowledge to respond as Jesus did that you're not supposed to test God like that, right? Yeah. And so some of us trust God in that way when we're not actually trusting God. We're testing him, which he commands wow. not to do. So some people live like that. They, we over-spiritualize things, and we end up in uh, what Rich Fiotis would call like stupid suffering, right? Mm. Where it's just like there is some suffering that like is necessary and it happens and all that stuff, but there's some stuff God has nothing to do with, and it's just us, like reaping what yeah. we sow, right? So I think there's some of that. Then there's the temptation that I think is, is most potent in um, – in the United States and in the West is that the two things that, um, that, um, the devil tempts Jesus with, which is power and accumulation, right? So Mm. turn the stone into bread, make your own food, make your own way, like provide for yourself. Like you could do that. Like you don't need God Mm. to provide for you. Just make it, make it yourself. Right. Um, which is an attractive thing in today's society because we pray, we praise people who quote unquote can do it themselves and don't need anybody and don't depend on anyone and all of that stuff. And that's an attractive thing when you are consistently disempowered, which is every minority and sexual minority like in the United States, or if you are empowered, it's a way for you to live out what has been prophesied over your life as a, majority culture representative right Mm. like i've i had a conversation with someone who's like racially assigned white male in this country raised in the northeast and he's just like you know i'm supposed to have done more in my life and i'm just Mm. thinking to myself who told you that like why do you believe Mm. that you have a phd you have an mba you're an ivy league educated person you're a professor for years who told you you needed to do more than that? Like, why do you believe yeah. that? I don't believe that. 
Like, <laughs> like now, granted, I'm I'm much younger, different skin color, right? But like, there yeah. narr- there are narratives that we believe about ourselves, and turn the stone into bread. Do that yourself, right? Is a temp- mm-hmm. it's a temptation. And then the last thing you know is about power, which is like worship me, and I will give you the kingdom. Like, look at the land; it'll all be yours. And I think that happens to every college student that comes to Columbia or any Ivy League school. We come in with a dream and we leave as consultants or going into finance. It's like, <laughs> hey, you like I literally had a conversation with a friend of mine. Well, we were friends at the time. I was a freshman. She lived in my freshman suite. I did not see her for three years until I, we met walking across a bridge in opposite directions at Columbia. And she says, man, I haven't seen you in a while. And I said, oh, I haven't seen you either. How are you doing? We do the like normal pleasantry things that people do pre-COVID. Um, <laughs> and I said, what are you going to do after graduation? And she goes, oh, like I'm going to work for Credit Suisse. She was an engineer. She was a mechanical engineer. Wanted to do quote unquote good things. Now she's going to be a consultant at Credit Suisse. And she goes, you know, cause I really want to do New York City right. And I said, what? I said, what is what does it mean to do in New York City, right? And she said, oh, well, like sex in the city, you know, like I'm going to live in this place and I'm going to live that life and see how it goes, you know? This was a real conversation. This is not yeah. like a made up thing, you know? Like she yeah. really said sex in the city, which is what she was going to go for. Oh, and and I, and I she said, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm coming off staff with university. Like I'm going to teach students how to feed the homeless and fight sex trafficking and labor slavery you know, get involved in education because that's what I did as a student and it it changed my life. I want other people to be able to do that. And we went in opposite directions after that in more mm-hmm. ways than one. And so the temptation that like this can all be yours is real, you know, and I, and I do not think because we have a gospel of comfort, stability, and security rooted in power, greed, and accumulation as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is rooted in like, obedience to god and sacrificial radical love for yeah. your for god and your neighbor like they're completely divergent things and totally. and if i had the chance now i didn't get the chance because i'm a little closer to suffering in the ways that are tangible which is because my family is racially assigned black and my church was on a former plantation and i lived in a place that practiced de facto segregation like i know that that's not for me right like yeah. I, I know that like, I distinctly remember conversations from elementary school onwards, like, that life is not meant for me. There are neighborhoods I'm not supposed to go to. There are people I'm not supposed to hang out with. There are folks I'm not supposed to marry. There are churches I can't go to. There are places not designed for me, right? So that that temptation, that lie, isn't as strong. Because every time I tried to reach for it, I was told to get back in my place, right? Hmm. But if no one ever told you to stop, and you just kept getting and getting and getting and getting, why not take it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like why like why not take the seat at the front of the table? Why not take the position the, the job that's offered to you because you fit the description? Why not take that place in the front of the line or that car that you can't get or that loan that you really can't afford but they give to you anyway? Why not take it? You know? Um so I think mm. it's 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 what was offered to Jesus in the desert by the devil, and but we don't have a relationship with Jesus with God that is deep enough to call us into obedience as opposed to temptation. Yeah, 
Well, and, and that's what's so so interesting about. Uh, I mean, I've I've been having a kind of a, a personal dialogue with with a. Uh, with someone pretty close to me who, who the thing that they keep coming back to is like, I'm just trying to focus on Jesus. Like I'm just trying to focus mm-hmm. on Jesus. And I'm like, do you mean like the first century Jewish rabbi who said all these things about self-giving co-suffering mm-hmm. love for, for vocal, um, vocal intercession for the marginalized for, for uh, like all sorts of different things. Are you talking about that Jesus? Because if anything, it definitely doesn't look like you're focused on that Jesus. Right. And so it it's a it's a weird world that we live in where it's like people can say that they're obsessed with or like I want to focus on Jesus or like I love Jesus or I want to follow Jesus, but it's like it actually like demands nothing of you. And I'm not saying that as someone who who doesn't live comfortably. Like I'm not saying that right. as someone who doesn't have privilege. But yeah. I'm I'm saying at least for myself, like I'm I'm becoming more and more captivated and enamored by the person of Jesus that said like give everything that you own and and give it to the poor and right. like don't like like turn the other cheek walk the extra mile like these these things that we learned when we were four five and six that mm-hmm. for whatever reason just don't apply anymore. Right. Well, I mean, so how old are you? When you say you're four five and six, that opens up a whole box, right? So how old are you now? I'm 24. You're 24. Okay, so I'm 34. And so, like, where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, Southern California. Southern California. Okay. And how old are your parents? In their 50s. In their 50s. When did they move to Southern California? Oh, they grew up there. Okay. Did their parents grow up there? No, my parents, or their parents moved from, well, yes, my mom's parents lived there, and then my dad's parents moved there from the South. Okay. All right, so there were two migrations that happened that brought your parents or your grandparents to Southern California. Do you know what I'm about to talk about? No. All right, so the highest concentration of of white power hate groups in the United States is Southern California and Arizona right now, Hmm. right? And so the, the reason that that is is this thing called the Sunbelt Migration, right? And so the Sunbelt Migration was white people from the South who were fleeing desegregation in the same way that black people from the South were fleeing Jim Crow. So the the people with wealth and resources who could relocate to the West Coast who were racially assigned white left and went to Phoenix and Scottsdale and Orange County and all these places, right? Hmm. And And the black folks went to South Central and Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's a reason, like, that, that, that the demographics of the political maps right now look the way that they do, right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's because of migration from the South and how that changed demographics around the country. I think it's something like 2 million Black people left the South during the Great Migration and packed urban centers based on travel centers and labor around the country. What we don't also talk about though, is the, the white resources that left as well right? yeah, and settled these places. So a place like Hollywood, California was started as it's like supposed to be this Christian capital of the West coast, but the patriarch of the family died. Um, and the matriarch of the family was a wealthy mayor's daughter from ohio i believe 
and they couldn't get people to move to the town. And so it became the center for entertainment, um, which is what we have now. Like it's, it's Hollywood. Um, but it was set up as this Christian city that had no problem bringing in people to build their city, but not live there. Right. Mm. People of color and, you know, like mostly Latino and like Southeast Asian people to build this place. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things where like we are deeply connected to the histories that we come from and what we've been given. And so your friend who you're having these conversations with is probably not going to be able to interrogate those things by himself or be put in an environment where he's going to ask those types of questions, mm. right? But if you're able to, to know those things about yourself and ask those types of questions and stay in relationship with him, then he can be discipled out of the nonsense. But most of us, as soon as we realize we have these profound, quote unquote, disagreements, the relationship ends. Yeah. You move to a more progressive place or you change churches or you begin to say, you know, this place isn't feeding me right now. I'm going to go somewhere else. Like all, all the things that we say in Christian circles to say, I'm sorry, I just don't want to be your friend anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's hard. Because the, the answer to it is actually discipleship, not deliverance. Like deliverance is yeah. the first step, you know. Um, but that radical interrogation of our own biases and histories usually doesn't happen. No. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I didn't even know that. I mean, it, it, I, I was aware of kind of white flight from, from uh, cities to suburbs in Los Angeles and stuff like that. But I actually did not know that at the same time people were fleeing Jim Crow, there were also people that were fleeing desegregation. That's actually, a, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't know that. So that's a, that's a new thing for me where I can walk away understanding where I'm from a little better because that was always the thing that was so confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, like, especially growing up in, in California, like everyone's like, Oh, well, California is just such a liberal state. And it's like, if I had a dollar for every <laughs> friend that I know right. that like repost Ben Shapiro videos or like mm -hmm. has a Trump sticker on their car. And it's like, this is, 20 minutes outside of los angeles like yeah. this is like this is the the liberal like babylon that people like to talk about yeah i mean i have i have family in huntington beach and orange county and um it was they were they were asking me because i was talking with them about choosing high schools and stuff and i said hey like you should probably go to this high school and not that high school and they were like well why and i'm like oh well the history of the high school is like started by white supremacists now, I don't necessarily think you would want your kids to go there, you know, and they're like, oh, we didn't know that. And like, I think we have to be willing to accept and engage with the fact that every institution in the United States at some point probably made a decision about slavery huh. and split every, yeah. every denomination in the United States made a decision about that and split. So whether it be yeah. the Wesleyans or the Methodists, whether it be like the American Baptist or the Baptist, whether it be like, P, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if PCA and PCUSA split over that. Um, but I, I know it was either women in leadership or, or, um, slavery. Like these things were present all the time. Yeah. Fuller Theological Seminary, Biola, or like you, you have these places that, um, and churches like the Asuda Street Revival, like there's, 
split along race. And so like we, these are the institutions that we are all downstream of. And if we're willing yeah. to begin to interrogate and ask the questions, then we can really begin the work of ministry, the of reconciliation and justice. Um, mm. But it does take some courage, which I think people are starting to have right now because the temptation is not working. Like, yeah. Like, you know, my generation, like I graduated in 2008 and there were no jobs, quote unquote, no jobs, right? There's always jobs for people that want to wash dishes and cook food, right? But that's yeah. not the jobs we're talking about. <laughs> There's no quote unquote yeah. jobs. <laughs> um, yeah. And so um, I, I watched people languish, you know, and, you know, Generation Z and um, like that, like coming up with that promise being compromised, I think um, creates new, new and unique opportunities for people to talk about Jesus. I think the problem is for the last 60 years, we've been training pastors to preach the gospel of nationalism, whiteness, and um, comfort. Yeah. Which is just being repackaged and sold again as people criticize critical race theory or vilify any pastor that is saying vote against Trump or whatever that there is, you know? Um, yeah. yeah we, I, don't, I don't think we have in the, in the pipeline for um, empowered leadership in the, in the Christian church in the United States, there is no theology and training around formal theological training around what it looks like to disciple people out of whiteness. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. Um, yeah. And so we, we will see how that works during this election and after it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm terrified. It's, a, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not optimistic if I'm being brutally honest. Um, I'm not optimistic either. I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I think I, can you can you touch on that? That's something I've actually been thinking about a lot today of, of the yeah. difference between like hope and optimism. For sure, like I so when I wrote Twelve Lies, the feedback that I got was that it's not it's not hopeful, and I was like, we end in Revelation eighteen, like Revelation eighteen <laughs> is not hopeful for Babylon. Yeah. It's like Revelation 19, they rejoice. I don't want to be somebody who weeps over Babylon. I don't. Mm. Like, yeah. and every follower of Jesus should not be somebody who wants to weep over Babylon. But we yeah. do, man. Like, we like the fact that we consume 65 to 70% of the world's resources. We like the fact that, like, we can order food and it just shows up, but nobody cares about the person who's got it delivered. I know you voted on Prop 22 today, right? Like, we've got lots of stuff like that yeah you know and I, if you're still in california but oh no i'm not oh you're not okay well that that's a bad i've kept up a little bit but I, i'm not in california anymore oh where are you live now so i'm living in uh charleston south carolina oh another fun wonderful place um yeah <laughs> yeah but it's one of those things where like you know we i think optimism uh does not make space for the the levels of complexity, which is really just our inability to deal with conflict. Like, just be optimistic. Like, everything's going to work out, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think what hope is, is actually, like, a mature, developed optimism that actually makes space for stuff that sucks. Yeah. Right? And so... What I've actually been thinking about is like, how do I remain hopeful and joyful and like a pleasure to be around? 
mm. even as I'm engaged in the muck of the world. I'm, I'm not concerned with being optimistic. I'm not optimistic about America because every empire falls and it looks like America's on its way down. And, I, and I've benefited from things, even, even as I've been exploited in all of the, the things that happen as a black male in the United States, I benefit from being at this plantation and not another one, right? Yeah. Um, but hold on one second. Maya, what do you want to watch? Do you want to try the middle one? 44 cats? No? Chico Bamba? What's that? You want to try that or no? Or you want to go back to another Octonauts thing? The Mighty Express? That one? All right, let's do it. I've never seen it before. Let's see what it is. Um, but yeah, so it's like... Um, crap, what was I talking about? Uh... Man, what was point was I gonna make before I change this movie for this girl? You were talking about how you've benefited from oh. from the empire that's currently falling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I am not optimistic because every empire falls, and I am yeah. dealing with like the reality that my life will change when that empire falls, mm. but I will not grieve over Babylon, right? Mm. So my hope has to be separate from trust in the fruit of empire right so i i appreciate that you and i can sit about 800 miles away and talk on a computer right yeah and i lament the fact that like apple could care less about the workers that put this computer together yeah like that that's just the reality of it right like I like I remember distinctly like advocating rigorously like as an abolitionist doing the work to say you know like I do not want this worker to be exploited for me to have what I have hmm. knowing that I'm surrounded by products and doing the very work on the products that they made hmm. and that I think is is the uh is the rub where it's like I am doing this on an iPhone I know that this company should not be worth a trillion dollars. Yeah. It just should like, hey, what are we doing? But I have Apple products because they're the best. I'm used to them. Yeah. I know how they work, all those things. And so I, I think that's the messiness of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember who it was, but um, on Seth, yeah, can I say this at church? He had someone talking about, Oh, no, it was Brandy Miller. Uh, Brandy Miller had um, Andrew McKenna talking about violence. And he said, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were with Jesus. Elijah killed hundreds of prophets, right? Yeah. Like, Moses, like, did some things that were unhelpful, like choking out an Egyptian. And like <laughs> calling down plagues and like, you know, like things happen yeah. and they were with Jesus transfigured, you know? Mm. So I'm like, there must be room for my mess if these two mm. people were there, you know? Um, and so I'm hopeful because Jesus redeems and renews all things. And I'm trying to trust him in Psalm 15 and like be counted as righteous 
Um, but I'm not optimistic that like the majority of people will be able to do that or want or even want that. Um, yeah. There's a theologian named uh, Renee. I don't remember her last name. She's from South Africa, works with um, Lisa Sharon Harper at Freedom Road. And she said to me, Jonathan, this was like four years ago. She said to me, Jonathan, oh, oh, you're so sweet is what she said. You're so you're so optimistic. Uh, and I said, I just want everybody to know Jesus. And she said, that's great. She said, that's great. She said, you have to remember that Jesus said it would be a remnant. And I was like, mm. oh, man, that is so hard for me, you know. Um, yeah. And that's where I think, again, that tension comes in. It's like, I am hopeful because God says, you know, in First Peter, it's not his will that any man should suffer and die, but all should come to a saving knowledge of him. And Ezekiel, like he takes no pleasure in the death of any man. And like, you know, everyone's asking, what must I, what must I do to be saved? Right. Um, mm. And there will be people who just walk away. And that break, mm. that breaks my heart, man that people would just walk away, you know? So I'm hopeful because Jesus is who he says he is. Um, but mm. I'm not optimistic because of John's revelation, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the disciple who he loved, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is the thing he gives him to reassure him that he is who he says he is. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, right. It's tough. Oh, man. It's a, yeah, and that's what's so, I mean, I, I'm sure you can, I'm, I'm sure you understand and relate, but I think that's what's so frustrating about this particular moment in history is like there are so many people like the the evangelical. I, I mean, fortunately, this year there's been some some work put in to um, to vocalize and mobilize evangelicals and Christians that do not stand with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, but like the the percentage of of white Christian evangelicals that, that can vote for someone like Trump. I mean, I, like I, I, I was having a conversation with my dad earlier today where, I mean, he voted for Trump. He's like, I hate that I did it, but I did. And it's like, I, I respect you for saying that. Like, I, I totally disagree with you, but I respect you for saying, why that. does he hate it? Cause he doesn't like, he, he thinks either way was a moral compromise. And so he, but he, he went with Trump, which I, it, it is what it is. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super happy about it. I, no, no, no. It's, what, I, I, yeah. I think it is, it is fascinating to me what people cannot bring themselves to do. Mm. Right? Like, and what, you know, I'm not saying that anybody is damned for or redeemed for the vote that you cast. Because I don't think that's true. Jesus did not say that's how you were saved. Right? Mm. Um at the same time, I think it's fascinating what we cannot bring ourselves to do, right? Yeah. You know, if there, so I think, I, I wonder what the script in him is if he voted for a Democrat or if he voted mm. for someone who, quote unquote, wasn't pro-life based on what Jerry Falwell and Paul Waywick wrote in 1970, right? Like, yeah. I, I wonder what's at work for him that when he goes into that booth and no one else is there, that he cannot bring himself to to not vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just wonder. I just wonder what is under what's underneath and is at play. 
Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing that's so 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 frustrating. It's like, man, like people, like I'm not gonna say, like I'm not gonna make a salvation claim about my dad or anybody yeah, else, yeah. but it's like the the thing is like you were so close. Like you have the words of Jesus in this book that you claim to love, mm-hmm. like and you probably do love it, but like you were so close to like the real and and that's what's been so fascinating about this whole podcast journey, of. Or, or even just kind of a journey away from conservative evangelicalism and like hyper Calvinist reformed theology mm-hmm. um, is, is seeing people that are actually living. Like I, I talked to Shane Claiborne mm-hmm. last week Yeah, and it's, it, it's amazing to, to see people that it's like, no, like this, I mean, you talk to people about like, uh, like acts like an acts ethic of of christianity of like everyone shared what they had and no one had any lack because everything was shared amongst everybody yeah and people like yeah like that's great turn the other cheek that's great like uh for seven times 70 that's great but like you can't run a country like that yeah exactly right yep Mm -hmm. but there are people around this country and there are people around the world that are showing in fact like this works and if anything it, it it works better of like uh, restorative pun- or not restorative punishment, but like uh, judicially, like you see the differences in countries that have a, a, a punitive sentence for people instead of a, a rehabilitative sentence for people. Right. You see how much better that works to restore people. And so it's, it's just frustrating at, at this point. It's like, you are so close to like, you search the scriptures thinking they will bring you life, but you don't see him. Right. Like that's the, that's the mind boggling part. And, and to, to answer your question, I mean, for him, it, it was the abortion mm-hmm. uh, question. Right. And it's, that, that's just so disheartening and, and in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, okay. You, you said a whole lot, right? Yeah. And, and I, I'm a, I feel like I want to latch on to two things. Like one is like, I like, I've, I've known Shane for going on like 14 years now. Um, so I was part of his tour, the Jesus for President tour, and it was 08. I performed with him in a couple cities. I, I did so. I was a poet, like that was my job before. Like I would do slam, spoken word, like all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So my first three books were all poetry. Um, but like the thing about Shane and that, like Brian McLaren, some other people, um, is that they are racially assigned white males in this country who are willing to call out empire, right? Mm. And mm-hmm. daring to live differently, right? Yeah. And I think we all like at some point have to see ourselves saying no to what's presented, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I see Shane, I think, man, that's a white person willing to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, cuz I'm I mean, this was was happening in my head, you know, 12 years ago. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm looking for somebody who leaves the story that I'm in to pursue Jesus. Right. And so Mm. the economic justice and generosity that like Shane is pursuing, like, I remember like in 2011 to 2014, like we created like a, a covenant community curriculum that would fight human trafficking and labor exploitation and exploitation of the planet to like work on this. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, we had a whole, you know, movement designed around it called the log off movement, like living local, green, organic, fair and free. And it blew up in 2016. Mm -hmm. Everybody put all their energy towards climate change and Trump. Like that's what happened. But yeah, 
But the reality of like going back to my mom and sitting in my town and, you know, the average income on minimum wage is $14,000 a year. Hmm. And what was interesting about that was my mom could eat like you eat at Whole Foods in New York City on $14,000 a year in Broad Axe, Virginia. Hmm. Because of how we grew up. Like, they already live in um, what there's a scholar from Duke University that talks about the extractive zone. These people that live on the edges of capitalism, where like Mm. the the wealth and capital is inaccessible. So you're not leaving anything. We're just already in that place of radical. Like I, like I could not get to college if people were not giving to my family for me to go. Right. Like it just, so there's a, there's a level of like the majority of the world does not have the economic um and um the economic and institutional advantages and incentives to do the things that people like Shane and Brian and the new monastics are calling people to do right mm. but it's a testimony to us that like empire is not worth it yeah which is kind of like a new Ecclesi- ecclesiastes 2 where solomon is basically saying mm. like i have everything like it's all vanity. Like stop pursuing these things, right? Mm. But the next crop of people graduates and becomes prophets for the empire, regardless of whether they're racially assigned white or not, right? So that's like one. Yeah. That's like one thing that, like, I think people like Shane and racially assigned white Christians who are willing to call out empire are are testimony, like, are testaments to the fact that, like. It is, there's no man, they, you know, there's no wizard behind the odds. It's just, it's all, it's all a ruse. It's all temptation, right? Hmm. Um, which I think, you know, which makes them prophetic to their own people, right? Um, I think for the second point is like your dad, right? Like it being abortion. And I think, you know, in our latest book, we break down like, you know, David French, Randall Balmer two other people who wrote anonymously about abortion in the last book, you know, reflections on politics and Christianity. Like, mm-hmm. are, and like, it is not about abortion. It's yeah. not like it's a, it's a cool thing to say. It's, it's a great soundbite. That's what everybody, you know, USA today, and all the people are going to write about. It's not about abortion. It's about, mm-hmm. it was about racism, like straight up in the 1960s like there's enough research to explain that but what it's about now is power like that's what it's about um Mm. and so i'm sorry institutionally it's about power so the republican party is never going to be not pro-life as long as it's advantageous for mobilizing this voting block they need to win the south and the suburbs of certain cities in certain states it's going to be that way when it isn't that way anymore, then they will change, which is exactly what Ronald Reagan did in when he appointed Sandra Day O'Connor. He was not running mm-hmm. for re-election. Jerry Falwell and people mobilized to try and get him not to appoint Sandra Day O'Connor. He said, I'm going to do it anyway. And then you have Jerry Falwell on TV saying, we did what we could. Right? Yeah. Because he, cause he didn't have any more leverage. It's not about abortion. It's about power, right? And so yeah. as soon as the voting block isn't necessary to you, it gets thrown away. So it's not actually about unborn children. And it's certainly not about mothers or fathers at all. 
Like we're not even going to get into that. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, the, yeah. so if it's not, if it's not about abortion, if it's not about abortion now, and it's not about race now, right. And it's not about power. Then I think for your dad and for people who cannot vote that way, it's actually about their theology of God, like how they see God. Mm. And I think it is the most, the worst thing that can happen to you in white evangelicalism and in the Western church in general is to be excommunicated, is to be, is to be kicked out. And again, Jesus does not do that, but we love to hang that over people in the Western church is they won't be a part of us anymore. And the way that our society works is idols and colonization are all consuming things, right? So Mm -hmm. colonization is a complete process that governs every single part of your life. We like, we live in a colonized land. That is what, like, that's what the United States is, is a colonized land. So we, all of us, quote unquote, had to learn how to live here, right? Yeah. And so there's a way of being in the United States that is dominant culture. And then we export that. And, and coupled with that, there's a, way, there's a way of being Christian. We live in a colonized Christianity, which is why you hear people say we need to decolonize, right? Yeah. And so there are, but the problem is that when most people talk about decolonization, they don't actually talk about the steps necessary to be able to do that. Yeah. And that I think yeah. is what the issue is in the ballot box for people who say, well, abortion has to be the thing. Yeah. I, and decolonization, I know I'm making some amplitude inferences here where I'm like connecting things. Um, and it might like, what is he talking about? Right. So, but ultimately what I'm talking about is that if we see God as a master that we cannot disobey, then changing our minds and living in the nuance becomes impossible. Mm. It becomes impossible because we're terrified of being punished, terrified yeah. of being punished. And whether it be online or in real life, I don't think we can deal with, like we as a culture can deal with being wrong. Yeah. And, you know, because there are people in this country who have been beaten and understand that if we're wrong, we're just wrong. We'll survive it, right? Yeah. But there are some people who have never been on the other side of that quote unquote fake master. Ever. Yeah. And can't, <laughs> can't bring yourself to do it, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and that's what's so, so it, it, especially so growing up, I mean, growing up Southern California, uh, super influenced by Grace Community and, and the ministry of John MacArthur. And, and like, yeah. there are still some things that like to this day, I'm very thankful oh, absolutely. that I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of like, I, I remember the breaking point for me was was the social justice and the gospel statement. Like that was the, mm-hmm. that was the first point for me where I was like, you are not the person that I thought you were. Right. Um, it was like learning your dad's not Superman yeah. was kind of how it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's this interesting thing growing up in that, that modernist uh, influenced theology of like, like you said, like you cannot be wrong. And, and there, there came a point where I was talking to someone uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. where they were like, well, what if you're wrong? I was like, you know what? 
if I do not think that at the end of the day, when all of it's said and done and I'm before the throne, Jesus is going to be like, you know what, Chris, like I would let you in, but like, man, like you were just too about justice. Like your theology was just too inclusive. Like you cared about the poor too much. Right. Like you thought like you weren't a capitalist. Like you, you had these, like you you were just too loving. Like you were too tolerant. Like I, I just, I don't see a, like, I don't like forget being wrong. Like I just don't see like a Jesus that's going to be like, Chris, like you were too lenient on these, like on these people that the culture told you are evil or wicked or demon possessed or deserve to be where they are. Right. Like it's just, that's nowhere in scripture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, there are some people who are not willing to spend a night outside the camp, right? Mm. So with John MacArthur or all that stuff, it's like, you know, to, to, to say that, like, like, I actually think you said it right, where it's like, my dad, right? Like, if your dad yeah. said this thing, like, the idea that you would have to get outside of his house, outside of that community, is terrifying. Right? Yeah. And, and so in our Emotionally Healthy Activist Curriculum Session 6, our session five, we talk about institutional enmeshment, where like we're enmeshed with institutions. Our friends are there, our families are there, our spouses are there, our opportunities are there. And like the thought of being outside of that is terrifying, right? Mm. But on the outside of that is Jesus's promise, where he says to Peter, like, none of you who have given up, like families and friends and like all these things, will lose. You'll gain much, much more, right? Yeah. So the sacrifices that are being called for today by people who love Babylon, right? How yeah. are the same sacrifices that were being called on 2000 years ago where people loved the power of the Pharisees or the the lore of the Sadducees or the like the allure of Roman imperialistic power, right? Like everybody has to leave it at some point or you get what you get because you were inheriting the wages of sin which is always death. Mm. right and i think you're absolutely right that jesus will never condemn you for making space at the table for people that nobody wants to talk to Mm. he's just not going to do that right now he does call us not to sin he does say like depart from me i never knew you two groups of two groups of people but they don't include people that made room at the cross yeah you know um yeah and making room you know for for anybody who's listening is like oh well like Jonathan and Chris are just saying anybody saved. Like, that's not what we're talking about, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're not condoning yeah. all these things. What we're saying is that, like, Jesus makes room for people at the table of communion. Yeah. If, mm. if, if whosoever will, let them come, right? Yeah. Like, come and learn from me. Like, I will give you rest. Like, actually engaging with even, you know, MacArthur wants to break down Paul and strip him apart and all that stuff. Like if you take Paul as a whole, there is no opposition between like the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of Paul. It's not. Yeah. But we love to create those dichotomies to make things easier for us to live with, digest and ostracize people. But Mm, you can't do that. I don't think with the the gospel of Jesus. Uh, No, I think you can do it downstream of the systems and structures that we've set up. Yeah. You can't get there with just the Bible. I think something that you said that that really stuck out to me and and has really resonated really deeply deeply with me 
um, over the last few years of, of you can break down Paul and you can talk about how you can exclude others using uh, Pauline epistles, but you really can't do that with, with, with the words of Jesus. And it's, it, it's, it's actually interesting because I think the first time I remember actually hearing a sermon preached about what Jesus said was I was 20 years old reading The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Yeah. Like I grew up in the church. Like I was like my dad was a drummer in the worship band. Like I was there every service of the day for for 20 plus years. And that's not me saying that that the that the pastors didn't preach on Jesus. That's not me saying that it that it never happened, but my first memorable encounter with Jesus from a pulpit or from from a pen, not to not to uh reference a uh, horrible uh news site. Um was the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Like it, I was 20 years old. It felt like when, when I, I mean, I knew Jesus, I loved Jesus. I wanted to be about Jesus, but the first time that I had a memorable interaction with Jesus on a theological philosophical um, existential level was reading a, a book. Like it wasn't preached from the pulpit. Like it, it wasn't like I, I had encountered Jesus in, in, in gospel presentations, I had encountered Jesus in in certain things, but I had never encountered Jesus like an exegetical, like, let's dive into who Jesus is. Let's talk about what he said. Let's talk about what he was about. Let's talk about how this applies to us. Yeah. Like, there, there's always the, like, well, Jesus is coming back and, like, he's going to be king one day on a throne and it's going to be great. And we're all going to party in the sky. Mm-hmm. But, like, no one talked about that kingdom that is supposed to be, quote, unquote, qu- coming one day. Jesus is literally sitting there, like in the first words of his ministry, says the kingdom of God is at hand. Like it's right now. It's right freaking here in front of your face. Right. Like it, it, it's a weird, uh, I don't think, like it's a weird dissonance within within the church today of like, I can I can talk about Paul. Like I love, like the, <laughs> like I was educated to talk about Paul, but then the minute that you talk about Jesus, it's like, I don't know what to do with this person. Right. Right. And I think um, something something that's worth noting, right, is like, again, like we all have to do the work to figure out who we're downstream of because we're going to get the gifts and the idols from where we come from. That's what's going to happen. Right. Mm. And so you're sitting in a room where every person, their spiritual grandparents believe in one way or another that races should be, should be separate believed in one way or another that men were the only people that are supposed to lead believe in one way or another that like you can't preach or lead or teach if you haven't been to seminary believed in one way or another that like culture might be coming for them one day and they need to be ready right that they the books the apologetics like all of that stuff right um and i think the truth is for for religious like education and leadership in the united states dominant religious leadership right now is the same as it was for the pharisees when jesus was around yeah that the pharisees did not deny that jesus rose from the dead they paid somebody off in the in matthew's account to lie about it they yeah it wasn't that they denied it they were basically like this is not useful for us that's the thing, mm. right? And even with with Pentecost, like when the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, 
they don't deny that the Holy Spirit fell. They deny, they want to control and contain it. That's what yeah. happened. And like, I think that is why we have these, you know, big theological discussions about like, uh, what's it called? Cessationism, cessation versus non-cessation, right? Because if you're, a, yeah. if you're a Baptist and you have slaves, you definitely don't want your slaves to become Christian and the Holy Spirit speaking to them, right? Yeah. God, how dare like the Holy Spirit show up to an enslaved people like they did in Israel, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like how dare that happen, right? And so I think what we we have to do is like disconnect um, in ways that we can, and God is gracious, so He'll help us do it. Um, is like disconnect what we've been given versus what um, what Jesus said. And that's really, really hard, which is why enmeshment, like that becoming an eye so that you can re-enter the community um, is, a, is a very real and necessary work, I think. Uh, mm. But yeah, all the stuff you're saying makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, totally. It's a, uh, gosh, it's it's so overwhelming. And 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 I know we're talking in, in a little bit, Jonathan, but I know that we're we're running, we're, we're running on a, a, about an hour now of, 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 of talking about like what kind of around the, the topics of, of the moment of like thinking about things that are really serious. I, I mean, I think of, uh, I was listening to a, a podcast earlier today about, uh, the school of the Americas and, and yeah. the ways in which, um, American imperialism, uh, committed genocide against, yeah. uh, impoverished people in, in South America. Yeah. And, and something that they brought up was that the, the board that investigated, investigated it was, I think it was something like the truth and reconciliation uh, association was, was the name, like the literal name of this, this association that, that was put forth to address the investigations and allegations against this, this system that was being used to oppress people that wanted better for themselves. And so before we go, I think just, I have a few more questions, but one of them is like, what role does truth play in this present moment? Uh, Are you talking about like God's truth or alternative facts? Like what are you talking about? Alternative facts. I I mean, God's truth, like I I feel like at this point, it kind of feels like they're, they're, (laughs) they're one in the same. Um, I hear you. So, Okay, <laughs> when I was, I talk about this in like longer with Brandy Miller on her podcast, Reclaiming Theology. But mm-hmm. the questions that I, that always came up at Columbia for Veritas forums were what is evil? What is true? And why, why do we suffer? Right? Mm. Those are white Christian questions. Like I like yeah. I as a black Christian in the South never asked why am I suffering, never asked why mm. what's true. Um, did like I like I believe in my bones that Jesus is Lord because I don't think I would be alive if if it wasn't that way, right? Um, yeah, I do, and we talked about this earlier. Like I don't believe that I can just make up something and say this is true. Like I have like it has to be coming from somewhere else because there's some force keeping me alive i think it's the holy spirit i think it's, it's jesus i think it's the father god had three and one one and three that holds together right um yeah 
and that wasn't something that I questioned. It was something that like I learned and then was substantiated by experience. So scripture for me is confirmed in all the times, right? There is no like one, oh, I have one testimony. I can give you a testimony from yesterday, which is how evangelism should work. We should always be able to talk about what Jesus is doing and how he has changed and transformed us in the world, right? Um, but, you know, I think truth in the hand of empire always needs to be relative and changing and unknowable, right? Yeah. Always has to be that way. Um, suffering always needs to be framed in ways that are helpful for advancing the empire. Um, it like evil always needs to be workable. We can't have a devil. We can't in Western theology. We need it to be people. We need it to be things. It can't. We can't talk about systems and structures and like all those things because then you would have to talk about empire. The empire is not going to indict itself, right? Like, it's, it's, so these questions about truth, about um, suffering, about evil, like, have to remain questions. And I think Jesus has actually said what is evil and what's good. He said mm. what is, you know, life-giving and what and what causes that. Like, he, he does that. Now, he does it in ways that um, I think are not Western, so it's hard for people to hold on to, particularly when you haven't experienced those things, right? Um, yeah. But truth, I think, is essential. So when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's not talking about a disembodied theological concept. So this is pre-enlightenment, right? Like, Jesus says he is the truth because the truth is him. The things that are true are supposed to be the things we can see, live, touch, testify about, all that stuff. The truth is not something I learned from a book, right? I don't, mm. I don't believe Jesus is Lord because I read it and it's a logical argument, right? I love Tim Keller. Like, he writes great books, but that's not why I'm a Christian. That's not why I believe Jesus is the truth. I believe Jesus is Lord. Yeah. I believe Jesus is Lord because I've seen people cast out demons, and I've seen people be physically healed at the name of Jesus, which means he's Lord, right? Mm. Yeah. But if you don't believe in the spiritual realm because you're a cessationist and exorcisms don't happen, even though Jesus said, like, you're going to cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead, right? Even he said you're going to yeah. do that. Then, like, it's really hard to reconcile the things that are happening because then God is not more powerful than your suffering. God is not more powerful than death. God is not more powerful than evil. So you're constantly wrestling with it. Which yeah. doesn't allow you to believe the things that Jesus says are true. Does that make, I mean, I, like, so I think truth is really important, but I don't think truth is going to be preached or stood upon in a way that is firm from the places of power. It's going to come from the margins, mm. you know? And so yeah, I, those are the voices I would listen to for truth. I would not listen to John MacArthur. I'm not interested in what he has to say. <laughs> I'm not interested yeah. in what Piper has to say at this point in my life. You know, he might have some great things to say, but like today, like when I'm really looking for something prophetic, I'm not going to places of privilege and power. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. God didn't go there. Mm. Right? Yeah. You know, I, it just, it, yeah. it, 
yeah but that is that is that is the the work of decolonization so when um willie jennings talks about you know after whiteness like that that's his book um esau macaulay talking about these things and reading while black randy woodley talking about his indigenous leaders program like it, the, the reality like we don't go to places of power to learn how to dismantle power like Corey, mm. I think it's Corey Tim Boom said you don't use the tools of the master's house to dismantle the master's house it doesn't work like dang you know so yeah so truth I think we go back we look at people who are preaching prophetic truth that actually calls out empire and then we live those truths out and then we will see Jesus the truth becomes not a disembodied concept that we need to believe, but fruit that is born in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's a, it, that's a, that, that's such a hard, it's, it's weird, especially growing up cessationist and, and kind of having kind of a bad taste in my mouth for people that would use words like, Oh, like I have a, I have a prophetic word for you. Like, right. Like that, that kind of, that kind of language of, uh, for a really long time, I had a really bad taste in my mouth of, of, of the word prophetic, but then after going through some deconstruction, some decolonization and, and, and whatnot, it, it became like, oh, like I actually, like, I, I love the prophets and, and I, I just finished the, uh, a few, like a month or so ago, I, I finally finished the prophets by Abraham Heschel. Oh yeah. And, uh periodically even over the course of reading the book i've gone back to his first chapter of what makes a man a prophet mm -hmm. and uh it's this and and i think you said something so profound of, of like go look for the prophetic voices and like to be honest like to anyone who's listening like it's not john piper it's not john MacArthur, like it's not it's not these people that are at the top of these systems like it, it is the voices from the margins it's the voices from the margins that have encountered Christ in a way that it's like, what the hell is going on? Right. Like, why, why are you doing what you're doing? And, and, and I think for so many people right now, we were stuck in this moment, especially uh, people in, in, I'm assuming in, in your circle, I know, especially in my circle who are like, okay, like we've, we've started the, the deconstruction. Like we've, we're starting to work through the decolonization. Like we're starting to, to work through these, huge huge issues and and having these like existential crises every every day it seems mm -hmm. sometimes um but what do we do like what do we do right now and so i th this podcast kind of started with the heart of giving people uh, a practice giving yeah. people uh, a faith and practicality during deconstruction and right. decolonization um and so jonathan like as as a voice that i mean i genuinely believe and i'm I'm sure many people would back me on that as, as a voice that is so necessary to, and so prophetic to this current moment. Like, what do we do? <laughs> so, first, so first off, I think, um, so the doing like is a product of like the, the, the culture that we come from. We need something to do as opposed to just like sitting in that. Right. So, we, I think we actually need to stop doing and just sit in the reality of our own impotence to save ourselves, our own mm -hmm. impotence to figure it out. Like, we are not able to solve the issues of the day. And yeah. I think we need to, like, understand. Like, I had this vivid uh, encounter with God where it was just like, oh, the organization I start will not end homelessness. 
the program that I build will not stop poverty. Like, like it, like my internship is not going to produce a book or a movie that like quote unquote changes the world. Like it won't. Right. But what it will do is shape me into someone who looks more Christ-like. What it could do is like liberate like the imagination of the people around me to imagine a different world. Like it might do that, but at bare minimum, what, what will happen is I will be obedient to Jesus because obedience is success in the kingdom of God. Right. And yeah. I think what most people need to do, especially if they're like listening to your podcast and engaging with books and have resources, just, just stop for a second. Like take a Sabbath, begin to take stock of like what's been big given right so that we mm. steward what what is what we actually have um and so you know for me like it looked like um right now it's the emotional healthy activist course but prior to that like it was just these, these series of practical therapy and discipleship and people being close enough to say jonathan that's bs what you're doing because most mm. aren't close enough people to, to actually call the bs so i think um big picture is we need to ask god like actually practice listening prayer for prophetic imagination to imagine a world that might be different that's not racist that is not hierarchical that is not patriarchal that is not misogynistic that is not built on like i don't think like business people have the capacity to imagine a structure where people are paid living wages they're like, yeah. what do you mean we could pay people less? Like, and pay other people more. Like, I'm not going to do that, right? Like, we, like, what do you mean you're going to pay migrant workers, like, living wages? What do you mean you're going to give health care to people who drive cars, right? What do you, what do you mean yeah. you're going to, like, actually give loans to people for houses where they were systematically frozen out of for the last 75 years? Like, what do you mean you're going to do? Mm. Like, we can imagine money for war. There's no problem for that. Yeah. But we can't imagine money for reparations and land redistribution back to native people. Like, mm. You mean we can't figure that out? We we can figure out how to get two hundred and fifty thousand soldiers sustained in a desert for years, <laughs> and we can't figure out how to get health care for old people who live in the United States. We can't figure out how to get mm. internet for people in. In, in like information deserts in in dense metropolises like New York City, you're telling me we can't figure that out? Like, come on, mm. like, come on, man. Like, so I think what we actually like, we need an a prophetic imagination to be able to say like, people sitting in rooms imagining a different world. So I think that's a big picture thing. Um, mm. The small picture thing is a shameless plug. Is like we need emotionally healthy discipleship. Like that's what mm. we need. So, because there's pain and trauma and processing that needs to happen, and so like we created a curriculum for that. Like you go to Patreon.com/slash/IVED or EmotionallyHealthyActivist.com, and then let's do some work to start asking yeah. these questions. You know, and you don't have to choose like our curriculum. Like you could just pick one, right? Written by someone yeah. of color outside of the margins, in the margins, like, and just start doing their work. You know, if we have the opportunity to do that, like, just do that um, and start to mm. radically interrogate what, like, be like a four-year-old and say, why does everybody have to vote Republican? Why does everybody mm. have to be pro-life? What does it mean to be pro-life? 
Why did Jesus say this thing? What context was Jesus in when he said it? Who is he saying it to? Blah, 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 right? Um, like that's what we need. That's what we actually need to do. Um, hmm. But what we've been taught is that you cannot ask questions. If you ask questions, you're bad. You ask questions like you're outside. Like why? Why are you being one of those people? Just go. Just go along with everything. Be colonized. Just be a good subject, because that's the goal <laughs> of the nation state is to create good citizens, right? The goal is not yeah. to develop revolutionaries, right? And I'm. Yeah. I, I don't think Jesus was a revolutionary or an activist. I don't think that. I think he was fundamentally subversive because he was himself. He was himself. Hmm. And most of us are not ourselves. We're the visions of our parents. We're the products of our culture. We are subjects in our church, churches. Like we're not like your your whole full self, which is Dr. Robert Mulholland talks about like your false self versus your true self. And I think the result of discipleship is Ephesians 2, Christ's workmanship. Like we would actually be mature and grown up. Um, and so, yeah, I would say study scripture, get discipled, we have curriculum for that, community for that. The people are welcome to join. Um, but start to, and then just start to ask questions in a genuine, humble way. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, heck yeah. No, I'd, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely be joining that community soon. I, uh, yeah, I actually didn't know that you guys had that course. So I'll definitely, that, that's actually been something that I've been really, kind of thinking through and, and struggling with over the last few weeks of just like what does healthy like what what does sustainable for the sake of longevity and posterity activism look right. like right it's really it, and i say emotional healthy activism it's really just discipleship because what we've actually mm. been preaching is deliverance deliverance from quote-unquote sin right mm. we've never been discipled out of the patterns of this world that are personal and systemic we're just doing the same thing. And I'm yeah. Jesus, like Jesus came to set the captives free. So how can we live that out in ways that actually lead us towards what he describes in the kingdom in scripture? So yeah. 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 No, I'll, I'll, I'm I'm definitely gonna check that out. And and to anyone who's listening, definitely go check it out. Um Jonathan, I I I usually end the podcast as someone who who is passionate about spiritual practices and, and disciplines and, and formation and whatever words you want, you want to use. Um, I, I, I saw a need and, and I, I hope in some small way I'll be able to fill it of, of resources and curriculum to help people maintain and, and develop spiritual practices. Um, and, and I think especially tonight of all nights, um, and just in general, one gift that I see as lacking and, and a, a gift that I desire to practice is, is just encouragement. Um, so Jonathan, I just want to let you know, like, I'm very thankful for your work. Um, your work has, has impacted me on, on some very deep levels, um, pushed me to, to rethink even tonight, like in our conversation, like, I'm like, I need to rethink some things. Like I need to, I need to go back and, and learn my history. Like I need to go back and uh and learn some more lies about about the things that i've been fed like i need to learn where where who i am is is being intercepted by who i'm told i need to be um and so jonathan I, like your your work is so freaking important and and i'm so thankful for it and i'm i'm excited i i'm i'm not optimistic i'm hopeful to say as you did 
of of what the future holds but i know that regardless of of what tomorrow or the next week or the next month brings we need people like you um and i'm i'm very thankful to be able to glean from your work but also to have this conversation with you tonight so i just want to say thank you hey well i i appreciate that um it is i i so I, i'll be honest i had no idea you were younger than me um but <laughs> but regardless of that i think um the reason that i wrote the book uh 12 lies and you know this last one that i got to edit and write right in um is so that people after me do not have to go as far down the rabbit hole as i did but mm. I, and and i think it is it's encouraging to me that i can learn from you and i can um also help you in your journey because i think what actually happens when we um participate in decolonization is like the the aid barrier gets broken right but we're actually yeah like what is the hold on one second what what is the wisdom that you bring to the table what's the wisdom that i bring to the table um and then how can we eat together and go towards jesus so Mm. that that's my yeah that's my hope so i'll see you on patreon and we'll go to work cool heck yeah i'm looking forward to it amen man i my (laughs) wife is calling me and this little girl i gotta give her some milk so um oh totally i am well, I'll talk to you in a couple hours. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Have a great rest of the night. I'll talk to you in a bit. Sounds good. Thank you.